So, yeah, that's good. I want you to sit comfortably, though, because this might take a little while. There you go. There you go. All right, I'm going to take a photo of that. All right, so I gave you no background on this, correct? I can't remember if I did. No. I had this just thought around a podcast based off a conversation around creativity because somehow it took me this long in my life and career to realize that we all approach creativity differently. Like it all just seemed to be, to me in my mind, it was all the way I saw creativity. And everyone else either did that well or they failed. And then having conversations with members of this team, I was like, wow, I have such a limited perspective of what creativity actually is. And people come at it in different ways. They have different approaches. They see it as something different that creates different results based off of their their own point of view. And so to work better as a group, to create better stuff, we need to understand each other better as creatives. So this is just getting people together, doing some quick, no planning, no must, no fuss podcasts. So you are episode five. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do when it comes to creativity. So, hi, my name is Joe. I'm uh, head up the creative team here at, at Digital Surgeons. Uh, I think I'm technically a designer by trade, but you know, I, I certainly don't think of myself like that. I'd like to think of myself a little bit of a, a jack of all trades. Even what you just said there, yeah, you were a designer. You study design, but that's been such a small part of who you've been professionally. Right. So how does that reflect your creativity? What is your idea of creativity and how does that come through in the the fact that every day you might be doing something entirely different. Mm, I think that's the most exciting part, to be honest. You know, I think for me, I've identified myself as a creative, I believe. But, you know, really for me, when I think about creativity, I think it all stems from my interest in solving problems uh, and really just understanding people. For the longest time, I've I've been what I'd like to say an uneducated entrepreneur, you know, from the earliest stages of you know, working at my family's greenhouse, I was introducing myself to people. I was helping them pick flowers. You know, I had a, I had a, a mother that was an art teacher at a school, so I was ex- exposed to art and I liked drawing. But really, you know, I think kind of above everything else, I'm a gamer and a, a competitive one at that. And you know, when I I tend to look at life through the lens of gaming, just the gamification of things. I know it's a trend right now, but. You know, for me, it's it's always about solving a problem, right? It's whether it's playing Tetris, whether it's Mario jumping from one platform to the next, whether it's playing competitive esports or rallying around a large group of people to to take down a raid boss in, in an MMO. I mean, it's there's a challenge, there's uh, a need, and there's a problem to be solved. And and I believe that you know, for me, the the creativity kind of comes out in how you solve it, uh, how you team with people, how you use the environment uh, to your benefit, you know, the the series and the repetition of, of moves or, or key commands or, or clicks or whatever that is, you know, there's there's an art and a, a skill to that and a little bit of a science. And, you know, I think I, I unconsciously or subconsciously apply that to, to what I do here and, you know, what I do in, in the professional world every day. I mean, at the end of the day, people are people, whether we're playing games with them, whether we're having conversations with them, whether we're in a room talking business, they have needs, they have emotions. I mean, it's, it's how can you, how can you look at the world through one lens or in a novel way or in a way that they're not used to seeing and apply that to what they do know and, and use that as kind of a means to solve a problem. You mentioned that it was solving problems. That's ultimately what we're doing. So what, and you you talked a little bit about things changing, that we're all humans, that it's just a series of variants, but ultimately we're still trying to solve a problem. So what is your approach to getting to that problem? What's your creative approach? 
Hmm. Creative approach. Because I think when it comes down to is we have routines or rituals and we always attack things sure. because that's instinctual. It's it's repetition. It's it's ingrained in us over years of, of doing this over and over and over again. If I throw at you a, a challenge for a brand, let's say it's you're going to create, you know, six two minute long videos, an instinct will kick in. You've done it. You're going to know your approach. So what are some of your approaches? Hmm. What's something that some of our you know younger team members or younger listeners could learn from someone like you? Because unlike most people here, you have come from many agencies. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, and I hate to use the metaphor, but I do tie, I can make a, a gaming metaphor, a gaming reference for, for even this. So I'd say a lot of it comes down to, to muscle memory for the things that you do know. I think everybody, you know, designers, writers, uh, strategists, you know, whatever you identify as, everyone has their go-tos. They have you have your safety spots, your your go-to typefaces, your go-to approaches, your starting point, your framework, whatever that is. Uh, and I think for me, it's it's much in the same way that uh, you learn a skill in a game. You know the sequence of of buttons to press because you've done it over and over and over again. You know what happens when you don't have that though? I think for me, my initial initial reaction and instinct is to kind of assess the battlefield. It's to take a look around what's in front of you, what's around you to the left, to the right, you know, metaphorically speaking, right? Like what can be done? What are some examples of solutions or similar patterns are there that that I can grab onto and, and use or try and experiment with and tinker with? So I think it's really just you know, being being aware and observing everything and you know, your brain is always unconsciously recording those patterns. Mm. And then being able to look into the, the archives of your mind, pull something out and test it. And a lot of it, you know, I think they, they tell you in math from an early age, plug and chug, I think is the, right. the mentality. Yeah. yeah, there's some sort of some form of trial and error. Yeah. That you're going to approach this challenge. And that I agree, I do the same thing. It works well on the individual front, but a big part of what these conversations are, are recognizing that we're all different creatives. We have similarities, but we have differences. So how do you approach a creative problem when around you are other creatives who some of them might not like trial and error. Some of them might be scared by trial and error. Some see the error as failure and that they don't want to get in trouble or they don't want to fail at all whatsoever. They, they're scared of that. So they have a whole different approach. How mm. do you handle working alongside or leading those type of creatives? Well, I, I think first and foremost, you know, failure is a good thing. And I think that we, we as a society and as a people have been so preconditioned to, to understanding failure, right. As, as, as an option or as something that is negative. You know, I think the way that the education system is set up right now, you're almost hardwired to not solve problems creatively or to know that there's only one way to solve a problem. It's, it's very much the case of it's true or false. It's, a, B, C, or D, or, um, you know, think about getting a test score, right? So seeing the red pen on a, on a, on a test and it's, you know, you need to get over a 70 and that's passing, but it's that fear of failure. So I think, you know, a lot of it comes out of helping people get over their fear. And I think there, there definitely is merit to the idea of confidence and just creative confidence as, as a construct in that kind of being a guiding light, you know, knowing that it's okay to fail, it's okay to experiment and try things. And, and knowing that you, know, you may not necessarily solve a problem the first time, the second time, or even the 10th time. It's trying, it's trying different options and different combinations until you get something that feels right. You know, I think for as much as I love to, to look at data and insights, you know, the one thing I do love about art direction is that it's grounded in the notion of feeling. You know, there is that, that intrinsic thought process and that, that motivation that, you know, you, you hit it 
and it's a gut feeling like it hits you in the pit and that's and that's a good thing so uh you know i think part of it is is helping people bring out the confidence in themselves uh really foster that exploration kind of all the way through and really if not you know people tend to get hung up everyone gets hung up i get hung up sometimes you know sometimes everybody spins a little bit i think it's um being able to have a solution to go to and i think for me regardless of where i like to explore and how far i like to push and different styles that I like to experiment with. I always have a safe option in my head. There's always there's always an exit sign. There's always a door somewhere that I can walk out and get out of the maze or the the labyrinth in my in my creative process or my mind. But I'm not willing to do that yet. I'm willing to go deeper and deeper and deeper and find the treasure chest at the center of the the maze or the labyrinth first before I ever start backpedaling and, and start taking a step out the back door. So you know I, I think that's interesting, but on the opposite side of that, you're the most senior person we've had on this yet. So give some insight into your approach there where maybe it is time to pull out. How does a young designer, young creative balance time and trial and error? How do they know they've gone too far into a maze that they're never going to get out of? Hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, so I would say, truth be told, I, I think, you know, in your in your earliest days of development as as a designer, as a writer, you may not know. And I think that's where I think the power of we is really important, right? It's having a soundboard. You know, you, one can argue that having a, a director or you know, somebody over your shoulder or above you might feel limiting. It might feel stifling. But honestly, that that's a gift. That's I find that freeing. And I find that freeing from an early age, knowing that there's someone there that can be a point of view or be be a source of truth or be the the voice in the head, kind of give you the perspective that you might not necessarily have. And to be to be honest, it doesn't even have to be someone more senior. It can just be someone alongside of you. You know, I think we are social by nature. So I think it's just being able to to riff with somebody and to get some kind of validation or gut reaction, good or bad, that ultimately can can get you to a place where you feel feel like enough's enough before you have to before you have to even think about taking those steps. Now, when it comes to the creative work, solving the problems, creating your labyrinth and working through it, where do you find a balance of your craft, your creativity, putting yourself into it, creating your game versus playing a game or crafting a game for somebody else? So we we serve at the pleasure of clients here with the work we do, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you find the balance of putting yourself and your passions and your energy in it and leaving an ego out of it? That's been a conversation in each episode. Everyone looks at it as, you know, they're trying to find that balance of effort of not putting themselves in so much that they're selling out to a client, but also not being broken when a client wants things to change. I think first and foremost, it comes down to to the awareness and just kind of the, the realization that your work doesn't necessarily have to reflect you as a person. Somebody, when you put something in, in front of somebody and you cast it out to the world for anybody to see, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a piece of you, but they're not reacting to you. They're not responding to you per se. They're just reacting. And that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. I do think it, it really starts, you know, kind of going back to your question a little bit, I think it really starts by figuring out what your rule set is as, as a creative, as a designer, as a writer. You know, having a creative philosophy, I think, is a great first step, knowing that regardless of the ask, regardless of the the subjectivity that might be involved in in looking at something, critiquing something. You know, I think having a place to start from that you identify with, whether it's your mental model, your personal passions or otherwise, that you can then bring out in the flavor of your work and carry that through your thought process, kind of the underlying thread is probably the most important piece of that. And whether or not somebody accepts that is 
you know, I think is a moot point. I feel like I need you to to break that down in a simpler manner because mm. I've been around a long time. That's fine with me. I feel like I have my creative philosophies and stuff. But if someone's listening to this, someone on our own team and they're 24 years old, are they going to have any idea what you just said? Probably not. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what, I guess the if, if I can rephrase that, would it be what, what advice would I give the my 24-year-old self mm-hmm. kind of or coming out of school, right? Like what is that first step? And I think it's it's getting real with yourself, you know, knowing the type of person you are, what, what you do love and find passionate versus what you don't and what you need to do to overcome some some mental hurdles or um you know the challenge if it's not kind of your thing. You know I think for me personally I I've always been a I guess a, a good way to put it is I tend to procrastinate growing up, you know, and, and not because I'm lazy, but because I'd much rather be exploring something, trying something new, taking on six things at once. So it's always attack what's the first thing in front of me. When I get into to executing work and, you know, from a from a design perspective as a professional, speed has become my biggest asset because I like to solve things quickly. Part of that kind of being my my DNA as a designer or my philosophy means I'm a minimalist, right? I'm gonna do whatever I need to do. I want it to be beautiful, I want it to be simple in approach and execution, but super deep in the conceptual thinking. I'd rather be able to conceptualize and give rationale that goes three levels deep, but looks on surface level like it has nothing to it, but it has everything to it. So, I mean, I think it really just comes down to what, how do you like to work? What's your working style? What do you believe like stylistically fits you and your vibe and your approach? And you're eventually going to find kind of the through line there for, for the way to approach work that, that works for you, that speaks to you that can solve the problem regardless of, of think, the type of challenge. And at the same time, I think there's that that search of you, but also the willingness to abandon it or to mold it into a to an environment. Right. Well, if that's... our young designers come in and go, I'm an illustrator and this is my style. This is how I approach work. They're going to last a week <laughs> before they get kicked out of here. It's about being malleable to the moment. Right. And, and it's not so much malleable as it's just keeping an open mind, right? Knowing that Great ideas can come from anyone, anywhere, uh, and be willing to try a new style. You know, I think one thing you're taught, you know, even as a designer, you're taught in design school to to emulate different styles. Get get a range for yourself so you see what you like, what you're comfortable with, and, and that's going to continue for the next forever. Trends change all the time. Styles come in and out of flavor, um, and just in and out of trends. So being able to to be adapt adapt to that and kind of keep a growth mindset just sitting there, I think really helps. Now, as a, a senior, senior creative, you are approaching the work differently. You're approaching talent differently than most people because you're looking to craft that next generation of mm-hmm. talent. How do you find creativity? How do you see creativity? Because I, I know sometimes when portfolios come through, you'll look at it and you'll say one thing I'll look at, it, I'll say something completely different because we <laughs> approach creativity differently. So what is your lens? How do you mm. how do you see something and go, they are one of us or they are capable of being one of us? What are you what are you looking for? Mm, that's a really good question. So I think for me it's a couple things. I think first and foremost, I think just understanding your process, right? Like seeing how people think. For me, I like being taken on a journey and knowing what turns you made in your labyrinth or, you know, where did you backpedal or what walls did you hit or what treasures did you find along the way? I think it speaks a lot to to your conceptual process and your and your ability to create. Another part of that is how you perceive things and how you look at things. What passions do you bring into your work? What styles? You know, I think 
people's work can be pretty telling in terms of where their passions really lie. Obviously, in what they show is, you know, if you're into music, chances are you've worked on CD projects, you've done band posters, you've done some kind of piece like that. You've written a book with lyrics or you have something like that. If you're into sports, you've probably done some some cool ads. You've done some blog, logos. Sports blog. Yeah, you've, you've done sports blog work. So I think seeing how that starts to bleed into what you show and how you sell yourself is a really, really big piece of that for me. I think the other thing... I feel like we can do an entire podcast just on the portfolio process because <laughs> everyone is so critical, but they're inconsistent in their critique yeah. when it comes to what we do because we get so many of them. So Jimmy... Jimmy was on the last episode when his portfolio came across my desk. I took one look and I said, no, no way. He's an incredible talent hiding behind this portfolio. And how many incredible creative talents are out there who haven't figured out the portfolio, right. who haven't figured out how to get in the door because there's stunts, which are annoying, like the fearless girl one in Scotland or Wales or wherever that was. Right. And, you know, is she actually talented? We don't know. She did a stunt and they can't say no, it's in, it's in the news. But how do people get it? We can create a whole podcast on that. Well, you're absolutely right. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, that's why when when I always have someone come into the room, the first thing I do is I make them do a design thinking exercise mm -hmm. or I really try to understand their thought process right. in the moment because there's so much premeditative scripting and planning mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily indicative of who you are and how you think. That's you why know, I give the writing test that doesn't have clear answers and it's meant to make them uncomfortable because yeah. I like to see how they react to it. So yeah. Jimmy took the test and sat outside the door and finished it before he went home, which no one has ever done. <laughs> and that showed that showed his character. And then in the work, I was able to see his creativity. Well, see, that's that's perfect. You know, I think I think creativity, if, if I was going to define creativity, I think I would truly define it as the intersection of passion and problem solving. And when I say passion, I think that is a lot of the character. Everything you bring to the table, your your lore as it might be considered, or kind of your story, uh, your interests, your beliefs, your creative philosophy, if you have one at that point, versus just your propensity or capacity for seeing the world differently or seeing a problem and thinking through it, thinking around it, thinking above, below, inside, outside of it in, in real time. That happens, so much of that happens in a moment. And that's something that, you know, not everybody does the same way. So, you know, I think I think we're, we're definitely on the same page in terms of how we like to evaluate portfolios and you know, really kind of going from the work to the person and then back again. So I'll let you get back to work, but I have one question here to finish it up. You have 400 or so children. You are, you are <laughs> here that. a lot. You're traveling a lot for work. You're not doing the design work that you did for years and years and years and years that built you as a creative. You are now a creative leader who does different things. How do you find a creative outlet? What do you do? On a, on a daily basis or, or not even, how do you find that creative voice inside you? Hmm. That's an awesome question. And nobody's ever asked me that. So for me, you know, I think I'll, I'll close the way I opened and I'll say that it all comes back to your true north. I think creativity and, and inspiration, if you will. Don't can, give me some fantasy answer. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> I run around the yard in my suit of armor. There you go. Uh, which is half true. Uh, you know, for me, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's it's recharging, it's playing a game, getting immersed in another world, another story, and then just recharging. You know, the, the more I can attach myself to the fantasy and the character that I play in, in video games and, and anything, the, the more I can then draw from other inspiration and bring that with me the next day into work and, and think differently about a problem. If I'm if I'm fighting a boss or I'm in a team of, of five playing a game, you know, I'll bring that with me to the next problem I solve. 
and I'll think about it in a similar way. So for me, that's supercharging, and that's that's where inspiration of my creativity kind of lies, and it's where it starts and where it ends, I guess. All right, sounds good. Let you get back to work. Thanks for coming on. Cool, thanks for having me. That's episode five, I think. Oh, one last thing. Give me a name for the podcast. Everyone has a different name for it. What's this one called? For this particular series? Yeah, the entire name of the podcast. Come on, man. You're going to put me on the spot like that? Yep. Um, Clips. Clips. All right, episode five of Clips. With Creative Joe, Clips. With Joey Pilks. <laughs> Bye-bye.